This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Camellia is an absolute light. That's the most distinct way I can think of describing my encounter with her. She's also super generous and super broad-minded to just come onto this podcast when asked by a random dude on Instagram to do so. And, uh, you know, with musicians, you always have a gut feeling about what will resonate and what won't. And I always had this hunch that uh, we'd get along. And I'm very glad to say that uh, my gut was on point. We touch upon a lot of topics, uh, a very broad range, but also deep, which is rare because it's usually breadth that gets sacrificed for depth in most cases but this is one of those conversations which uh, have proved to be an exception to that rule so you folks are in for a treat before i go ahead though i would want to take a minute to remind you that this is an independent show so if you want to support us please go and subscribe to us on uh, a podcast platform of your choice Um, ideally apple podcasts or spotify if you're feeling particularly generous give us a fantastic review as well Additionally, uh, this show is also sponsored by my online academy, which is the HolisticMusicianAcademy.com. You probably don't know this, but we have a bunch of flat discounts for all podcast listeners. So if this is something you're interested in, uh, click on the link that's included in the episode notes and go get your discount for all courses that are included on this. All right, without much further ado, please welcome Camellia. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome loading a safe space to attempt honest raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire we are officially on tape so i'm going to turn my video off welcome camellia thank you how are you doing today i'm doing well how are you I'm all right, thanks. It's a little late in my part of the world where I currently am, uh, which is India. I just got here um, last week to visit my parents. Uh, what time is there? Where you at? Right now it is 2.06 p.m. So it's afternoon here. And where are you at? I'm in uh, Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas, which is probably about three hours from Houston. Oh, nice. Sounds lovely. Is that where you've been based most of your life? No, uh, I moved here with my family, my husband and my three-year-old son about a year ago. So mm-hmm. we've been, uh, you know, we move around every few years because of the military. So That's my right. husband is active duty Navy. So we move a lot. Nice. As were you from what I gather. Yes, I did six years in the Navy band. And uh, that's actually where I met my husband. But we met in Japan while we were serving in the Navy band and traveling all over Southeast Asia, playing music. And yeah. Fantastic. Mad respect. Thanks. I want to dig into uh, that a little more later on. Yeah. Um, I noticed your biography mentioned that you were born in Heidelberg, Germany. Yes, this is true. Yeah. My dad was actually in the army. Uh Uh-huh. So... uh, I was born on a military base, um, a U.S. military base, but in in Heidelberg, Germany. So I was there for two years, so from like zero to two, and then we moved back to the States. 
That's amazing. I actually lived in the Rhine Metropole, Rhine Neckar Metropole region for 11 years. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. I lived in uh, Mannheim, which is not really Heidelberg, uh, but they, they kind of share the same uh, public transport system uh, and so on. I, I don't know if you've uh, heard of it, if you've been to Mannheim. No, no, I do want to go back and visit. I like, I don't remember much um, when I was there because I was still little, but it would be really cool to go back and visit and see Heidelberg and see a lot of other cool places. When was the last time you were there? That was, well, I was born in 1989. So from 1989, 90, 91. So we left in 91 to come back to the States. And so, yeah, that was the last time. <laughs> wow. So that, that's been a while. I can actually relate. Uh, I've never been back to the country. I spent the first five years of my life in, well, most of it anyway. Wow. Yeah, uh, I can intimately relate. Do you think that change in your uh, environment at such an early age affected you in, in your artistic approaches in any way? In a significant way, anyway? Um, I guess, I think just being aware or being told that I was born in a different country kind of gives you this, or kind of gives me this feeling of being, uh, you know, a little more, I guess, cultural. Like, I, I don't really claim anywhere as my home. I feel like, you know, I'm from everywhere. I can go to any country. And so when I take that approach to music, it kind of just... It, it blurs the lines of separation of genres and stuff. It's just like, I can hear something and I can just take it and blend it in with, you know, whatever I'm thinking or feeling. It, it almost gives me like a, a sense of freedom to have that. Oh, I was born over here. My dad is from uh, West, West Africa. My, my, my dad was born in Nigeria. You know, my mom is from the States, but you know, if we go back far enough, you know, the roots are probably traced back to certain parts in Africa. So you have this sense of just being from everywhere. That's awesome. That's, that's, I'd like to think a very healthy mindset to have as an artist and a musician. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think, uh, especially as musicians and I think, uh, not being confined to any type of, you know, rules or restrictions and so yeah even when i was in the military and traveling all over southeast asia it kind of just gave me an appreciation for for people and their culture and and their music as well so it's kind of just like it, it's all I, I believe like a melting pot of creativity yeah that resonates it's pretty evident to hear in the manner in which you approach your drums and the way they even look at the risk of sounding somewhat superficial, it's evident to see that he is a person with multi, multiple cultural influences. Mm. That resonates with me. Um, we've already mentioned the military background a couple of times. Your husband is still serves, and you were born in an army base. So, is that a family thing? Is that a lineage thing? Uh, I think it's more of a coincidence. Or, well, I will say, my dad has he has definitely. Um, suggested and kind of, you know, made it like, hey, I I really want you guys to go. Like, I have two other sisters and my older sister went to the Air Force and I went to the Navy, my dad's army. So uh, it's definitely something that he basically told all of us to do as an, a way to kind of set yourself up for uh, success early on. 
So I went to the military right after high school. So I was, you know, in boot camp and then, you know, overseas traveling as a, like a young adult. And so it was kind of um, cool to have that, um, those experiences at such a young age, because it kind of opens up your mind Indeed. to, you know, just appreciate and to be more accepting of music of everyone. Indeed, you talk about this uh, in an interview with the Guitar Center um, about how the prospect of being able to travel the world, meet people and play music seemed like a no-brainer for you. You want to take us through that phase of your life a little? You're, you're talking about, uh, you said the interview I did with Guitar Center and uh, yeah. you said traveling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you talk about how, you know, when you found out that working as a musician in the army was an option and how, you know, it would let you travel freely and uh, mix with you know, all these people in different parts of the world, that uh, it seemed like a no-brainer. And uh, yeah, uh, you want to tell us a little more about that? How did you find out this was even an option? Oh, okay. So when, uh, so my, my drum instructor that I was studying with in, um, in high school, uh, Miles Overton Third. so he was active duty in the army band. And huh. um, I would take lessons from him every single week. And he would help me with reading and he would help me with all the, you know, music and percussion. And so every time I would go down to my lessons, there are pictures of him in uniform playing for the president uh, of the United States, whoever it was. And uh, so I, it was kind of that early exposure to like seeing someone in the military and playing the drums. And so nice. I, I didn't even know like every single branch had um, every single branch of the military has a band. But I kind of just was like, oh, that's really cool that he does that. But um, after I finished uh, high school and um, I just had this this thought of I want to play professionally. Um, I don't necessarily want to have to pay a lot of money to go to school. Mm -hmm. I want to be paid to um, travel. I want to be paid to Mm -hmm. play music. I want my education paid for. And so all of these things that I was kind of talking about fit into the realm of uh, becoming a military musician. And so um, I went to see a recruiter, you know, like most people do who want to join the military. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, you know, I want to join the the Navy band. And my recruiter says, we don't have a band. <laughs> and so it's such a small community that he was in the military and didn't even know that there was an actual Navy band. And so I like had to go back. I talked to my instructor and I'm like, Hey, I don't really know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. I ended up finding the number on the website for the DC band. So I ended up calling over there and was like, you know, I'm having issues kind of getting this whole thing set up. And basically he called over, was like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're going to do. And so from there, uh, I was able to get an audition set up. And so prior to, auditioning my recruiter after me find out you know there's a band he's like well you know what you just graduated from high school and uh like most of the musicians going in after he looked it up found out like they all have at least a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in music wow and here i am like uh, a high school you know a high school graduate trying to go into this program and so he's like you know i'm preparing for my audition i'm like i still just want to try and so when I went in for my audition, I prepared my, my, my pieces with my instructor, uh, Miles Overton. And, uh, you know, 
did my best, went in, I played my snare piece and I was, you know, like, yeah, hoping for the best, but I'm thinking they're going to be like, you know, great job, but you know, maybe not today. But they were like, they looked at me and they said, you just graduated from high school. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I just finished high school. They were like, well, we can't tell you this officially, but you're in like, you're in the band. I was like, so that set the stage for the entire audition. The audition went well. I got the email, you know, being invited to, you know, um, you know, kind of become a part of the music program from there. Amazing. You have to make sure you're physically fit. You have to go to boot camp. You have to do all of these things that a normal uh, Navy sailor will have to do. So wow. that kind of was the start of my, uh, my career as a military musician. And so that's kind of a, the introduction for, for me getting in. And so everything, everything went well though. Boot camp was boot camp, a lot of yelling, a lot of uh, discipline, a lot of, you know, early mornings waking up, a lot of push-ups, mm-hmm. a lot of training, but it's just preparation. So when you get out, they call it the fleet. When you get out to your ship, when you get out to, for me, my band, you're, you're ready to do the work that's necessary. Wow, man, respect. So let me get this straight, just to clarify, you know, the fitness levels you need to be in charge of are, are military, like literally military grade. So you have to have the same fitness levels as that of a soldier. Right. That's, yes, that's correct. Every, every, um, every branch is a little bit different. Like the Navy, Navy regulations are a little bit different than the Army, than the Marines, than the Air Force. So the, I would say the Marines have the hardest. They, they usually have to run like three miles for the Navy. You got to run a mile and a half. You got to do a certain number of sit-ups, a certain number of push-ups. but everyone has to be able to do the same thing. Like when you sign on, when you go to boot camp, there's not like, Oh, you're in the band. You don't have to do these push-ups. It's like, everyone has to, everyone has to do it. Everyone has to meet the standard. And if you don't meet the standard, eventually you'll get sent home. So there are, uh, there, there is a level of uh, what you have to accomplish. Did you ever find that rigorous level of physical training ever being in conflict with your uh, musicianship? Because, I mean, playing drums is like a semi-athletic feat on its own and you're doing all this extra fitness work. I'm sure, you know, age is on your other side at that phase of your life. But still, it's, it's almost like double duties in a way. How, mm. how, did that, uh, how did that feel for you? It was, that's a really good question. I mean, um, so after I, so boot camp, basically we focused on, it was boot camp. For, for my division, we were practicing, I was able to play drums once a week on like Saturdays because we would be preparing to play for the people who were graduating. So prior, um, prior sailors that were in boot camp, we, they, they would have us play for their graduation. Uh-huh. So I was had a little bit of like, you know, of course, working out and then being able to keep up my chops on drums. But what I realized right. was after I got out of boot camp and I went to my first I went to train at the Navy School of Music in Norfolk. Like I was having I started having a pain in my in my wrist and my arm because I was trying mm-hmm. to practice so much when I had mm. basically took almost two months off of not being able to maintain my my chops. And so there was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a struggle there. I even went to medical and I was like, you know, I'm having some serious pain in my left wrist. And he basically was like, Hey, you know, you probably got to stop playing. <laughs> and I was just like, this is my job. Huh? So that was a little bit of a, I, I managed to, to work through it. 
kind of just had to let it rest play but you got to play um you got to make sure you play kind of mindfully you know uh not straining yourself because with with like you mentioned like with drumming and with working out you can easily injure yourself and then mess up your chances of actually playing your instrument so it it has to be a very good balance and you just Mm -hmm. have to be mindful of hey if i'm doing these push-ups i want to make sure my wrists are supported that I'm not putting too much strain on my wrist, that my legs exactly. are. And so it's kind of building up. It's not, it's, you could push yourself, but it's just making sure you, you are capable and you're not going to hurt yourself in the process. So it's kind of taking it slow. And prior to going to boot camp, I, I was training for about three, three months, three or four months, just slowly, slowly working myself into being able to meet the standards required. So, cause I, I knew I was like, I mean, even something as simple as running, like if you are not running like on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever, if you just get up and start running, you're gonna have shin splints. You're going to have all these things that like, right. you know, can prevent you from playing your instrument. So that was kind of, uh, you know, even despite my training and stuff, like after I got a boot camp, I had a little bit of a, you know, a trial tribulation where I had to kind of just sit back and, you know, Hey, okay, this is what's going on. Let me try to, you know, try to relax don't stress over it too much take it easy and gradually kind of build myself into being able to play again nice i mean ideally our uh, musicians workout will be fine-tuned for the specific physical requirements being as it is mm-hmm. that you know playing a musical instrument is um, actually an you know, above average physical feat but i mean you're training right. to be a soldier on one hand and be, be a musician at the same time mm-hmm. but it sounds like it, it gave gave you a very specific brand of resilience that paid off long term correct me if i'm wrong Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I guess, like I mentioned, it was kind of just like, it was, it was a trial. And, and if I, you know, when I was in a school and when I was at my, uh, in Norfolk at the school of music for, for the Navy, like if, if that was the one thing that was going to stop me, then it would have been something that, uh, I think I would have never, I don't know, gotten past because like, it's like you have these tests and it's like, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to overcome these trials and so you know just just something like that where it was like you know i had to figure it out the doctor on one hand was saying hey you can't you you shouldn't play drums anymore basically and i was like all right obviously i'm going to continue to play drums but how can i go about this in a very smart way so i don't continue to to injure myself and i can build up my muscles that i had previously to be able to do both to be able to play and to be able to run and to be able to do push-ups and sit-ups and planks and everything that's required without um, causing uh, any injury. Fantastic. I'm curious. I mean, I side gig as a personal trainer for musicians and artists. So I'm, I'm really curious. What would you say uh, was the, the crux of your solution in making sure that you stayed on track and could refute the doctor's orders without actually mm. all all going all right yeah uh, it was um i guess it was just me it, it was like i chose like i had to pick one right my focus mm-hmm. is music my focus is drumming so when i'm doing any type of physical activities whether it's running i know that i'm not gonna like i'm gonna push myself but i'm not gonna push myself to the point where i can injure myself and i think we all kind of have that like window where we're like hey 
you know, I, I, can, I can go a little bit further, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be like completely tired or I'm going to be, I'm going to be in pain the next day. You know, like I yeah. would always, I, I know I could go there, but I would always be like, ah, eh. but you know, my focus is, is drumming. So I'm not, I'm not going to try to push myself that far. Yeah. And now, so it would be different if I, if my focus was more of, uh, you know, to be an athlete. And mm-hmm. at one point, that was my focus. I was, I was playing basketball and drumming kind of was at the second hand. And so I think it's all, it's just a matter of uh, balance and what you want to focus on. And so if you want to focus on music and that's your strong suit and that's what, and that's where your heart is, then you kind of almost have to put everything second. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this because this could possibly, you know, cause an injury or this could possibly, you know, so Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a tough call because I can imagine you would have been uh, an, a gifted athlete as well. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, a lot of people meet me and they're like, it looks like you're on track or it looks like, you know, you're a basketball player. And I, I mean, I think I could have, and, and for a while I was, I was on the basketball team in middle school and, and stuff. So nothing like super, super, super crazy. But I, I do have that athletic ability, that athletic built where I could, just you know you kind of just have this natural you could look yes. at someone and be like you you just have this natural talent to do this thing uh mm-hmm. i definitely felt that way but i was like you know hey this is this is my focus i mean even yeah. when i was in the military i was the uh command fitness leader while i was in japan so i was in charge of i was the assistant to like watching helping people with uh you know their sit-ups and their their fitness scores and how to help them them train so wow. it, it was definitely something that was was there and uh even though music was my focus drumming was my focus i was still able to excel in the athletic realm as well That's so impressive. It's very apparent to see, by the way. I can relate on the, from a very indirect manner. Um, I've always had um, a relationship with martial arts. And uh, mm. at a certain point, I was seriously considering competing. And uh, I really, really wanted to. In fact, personally, I've always thought that, you know, um, athleticism or, you know, um, is, is also an art at the end of the day. And between, at some point, you notice parallels between practicing an instrument and practicing um any form of uh, well physical art uh, let's just say mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of remember hey there you know you do have to make that choice and it can be such a tough choice in my case i just had to make the choice to not compete because i can't not get competitive when i'm com- you know competing that's the whole point <laughs> i see so i had to l- live with keeping it more of a like a wellness practice for lack of a better term but Not to go off on one. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. How how did your peers, your mu- you know your musician peers, how did they cope with the physical demands of that job? Uh, well, I will say some of the guys I work with, some of the guys and girls I work with while I was in uh, the military, some of them struggled with uh, the the physical um, requirements. You know, staying staying at a certain weight. Uh, mm-hmm. You know being able to do and run a certain, uh, have a certain time for a mile and a half, like some, some of them struggle with it. So on one hand, I'm trying to create a balance. And then on the other hand, you have people that love playing their instrument. They're great at their instrument, but then they struggle with the, the requirements, uh, to even be able to stay in the military. Uh, Mm. so it's kind of, um, 
it's kind of interesting and it was interesting to watch and uh to to witness you know people who love to play music and and be in the military but that that uh opportunity be in jeopardy because they they can't maintain a certain weight or they can't you know they can't complete the physical requirements for their run or you know their push-ups or their sit-ups or their planks i can imagine yeah in fact it's such a polar opposite to the regular narrative of what a musician's lifestyle usually is right there's so much uh so many unhealthy associations often associated with musicians live ex- especially the younger ones you know drinking mm-hmm. drugs partying hanging hard and here you are fresh out of high school training a military grade athleticism and keeping a chops up and building your career <laughs> it's a refreshing take it's a refreshing take you know on, on a musical career right um, um i'm also curious on how your musical peers m- many of whom you say had college degrees Uh, reacted to a high school kid uh, being their uh, equal how how was that were you welcomed or were, was there a lot of competition what was the vibe like uh it was a little bit of of both and for the most part people were pretty accepting especially like if you come in you know the music you can play your instrument no one really really cares like what your background is as long as you can hold down the spot. Nice. And so that was kind of the uh the, you know, of course they they know my you can look at me and be like, "Hey, you're you're really young and you you got these people in the band that are 30 plus years old, you know, have all of this experience, but here I am, you know, in in the same kind of boat and um I think most people they were okay with it. Um honestly, and it, I thought that was pretty cool. uh for me myself i was always just you know really nice and really kind to everyone so it was never like um anything on my part where i was like you know what you guys are treating me differently because i'm just a kid or if it, i i honestly felt like everyone was really helpful um really nice to me um and just uh you know they they wanted me to succeed it was kind of just like this kind of like this family type of vibe where it was like you know you're the drummer of this band and we want the music to sound good we want you to do well and so awesome. that was kind of so that was pretty cool so you had each other's backs oh yeah yeah awesome. definitely awesome those are the best families the best kind of bands um do do, do you feel uh, that having the chance to work with more mature musicians from such an early onset would act to your advantage in the long run oh uh, i think so yeah i mean currently uh like i think back on my early experiences and the stuff that i kind of got into when i was when i was younger and i really do believe that um having people that were uh older than me and and still like kind of encouraging me and playing the music i i think that was really really helpful honestly beautiful yeah that's that's like what I um, I recommend to most of my students i had the privilege too to start off working with way more experienced and mature musicians at a very early age at the time i didn't even realize what a privilege it was it's only now in hindsight i realized how much time it saved me but i'm also wondering um and this would be something my listeners would be very interested in what was it that gave you that solid background that helped you hold your ground amidst people who were clearly more experienced and we had all these um you know degrees and whatnot um you you obviously had a very strong musical foundation prior already you want to tell us a little about that a bit of a rewind 
Uh, well, yeah, definitely. Like, so once I, so basically prior to, up until I started taking lessons with uh, my instructor, uh, Miles Overton, the mm-hmm. third, I was kind of just teaching myself stuff, you know, going to the band director, Hey, can you help me with this? Asking wow. questions, you know? So until I started taking lessons uh, and I started to get better at reading music and mm-hmm. kind of building up my confidence in that type of setting uh, prior to that, um, I, and if I tried to go into the military band or audition, I feel like I wouldn't have felt ready, but I kind of got that confidence working with him and kind of just, uh, being exposed to so many different styles. Like we would come in and he'd be like, okay, we're going to play jazz. Okay. We're going to read this chart. Okay. We're going to do our scales on the mallets. We're going to do this. I want you to prepare the snare drum piece. Awesome. So like, basically by the time uh, it was time for me to audition, like I looked at the requirements for the audition materials and we had already done everything that was on that list. So he was, he, he didn't even know until probably about like a month and neither did I until that I was going to even audition. Cause that wasn't really my plan. My plan was to go to college um, after mm-hmm. I finished high school. But, mm-hmm. you know, after I decided, you know, like, Hey, you know what? I, I really don't want to necessarily have to pay all this money and get in debt. And so when I took the information to him, he was like, to my instructor, he was like, you can definitely do this. And so it was like those, it was three plus years of kind of being built up and, you know, having these lessons with him and then having something that may be hard and getting past it and these, you know, so that, that was uh, probably what really did it, I think. And so I had that level of confidence, but still open and willing to learn and not thinking like, Hey, I know everything. Cause I, you know, I don't. <laughs> Beautiful. That's like the perfect mindset to even start off on the musical journey. Three years of study. That sounds pretty solid. That's like a bachelor's degree. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of tough to get in with him because he, he had a lot of students, like everyone wanted to take lessons with him. And mm-hmm. because he, you know, he, he was living in, he was working in the DC area, living in Virginia. And that's where I was living at the time with my parents. Um, but it was just, I remember my mom said she called them several times and eventually I was able to get in and I just remember going and just being so grateful that I was able to take lessons with like the best instructor, you know, in the world really because of his vast knowledge. Like we're just not going to sit and play drum set. Mm -hmm. We're going to play concert snare. We're going to play marching snare. We're going to play mallets. We're going to play it. Like we're going to touch everything. And percussion and drums is such a wide range of instruments Indeed. you know yeah we did our best to kind of go over everything yeah it's it's very evident to see uh, I, I didn't realize you played tuned percussion as well um, um, one of the questions i was planning on asking you later on anyways is how how did you strike that balance between such a sense of mastery over both the trap kit and hand drums i noticed you play very legit congas as well was that part of your earlier education as well uh, it was, so with Mr. Overton, like we would do, he would do it on the drum. He would do it like on the snare. Like mm-hmm. when we would start our, when we start our lessons, we might do like uh, rudiments on the snare. And so we've isolated just one drum. Mm-hmm. And so when I kind of transitioned to playing with my hands later on, it was kind of like, I had to think back on stuff that we had played and then just right. had to kind of learn the technique. But right. uh, we didn't really do hand percussion uh, too much, but we, we did isolate specifically the snare drum. And then to the point where I was like, 
you know what? I can play the snare drum with my fingers. I can play the snare drum like it's uh, a conga, like it's a bongo and get all of these tones and, and sounds out of the instrument. And so that's kind of where my, I don't know, the beginning stages of my creativity started to, to begin. And I didn't even really know it. Beautiful. Because I was so kind of structured with the, you know, oh, marching and, and all this stuff. Until yeah, I feel like when you use the word structured, that kind of really describes your approach very well. You obviously had a very clear idea of how you want to approach your instrument. You also talk about how you knew the very first moment you heard drums that this was your instrument, how the frequency range resonated with you, mm. how the entire vibe of it, it was like from the very first onset, you know, this is it, this is what I'm going to play. I'm a little jealous in a good way because I took ages to figure out I, I, I went to college to study piano and figured out that I'm actually a bass player at heart. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I'm just, uh, when I say jealous, I mean that in the best way possible. I'm in awe of people who have that sensitivity at an early age to know, hey, this is it, this is what I'm going to do, and do it. You want to give us some pointers on how that came about? Well, yeah, like I was, I was... Let's see. I was five years old and I was sitting in church. And this is one of my one of my first memories, one of my earliest memories of watching my cousin play the drums and my my uncle is on the bass. Mm -hmm. And it was just just like this awe, this amazement, just like a, a feeling of I can do that. I, I want to do that. I'm interested in that. And nice. just being like uh, just just really wanting to learn everything about the instrument and and so i remember going to my mom and my dad and being like i'm five years old i'm like hey i, I really want to play the drums and they're just five like, years old amazing yeah <laughs> they're like you don't know how to play and so they're just like you know they're thinking you know this really loud instrument this little girl doesn't know how to play and so it was through my persistence and my dedication like every single christmas i was like hey you know, this is what I want for Christmas. I, there was so much passion and persistence behind, uh, like just, just the wants and the desire to learn the instrument. So I was just constantly asking and I was in school playing and banging on everything and trying to make rhythms and music out of everything. But my, my parents, they were like, you know, it took them a while to, to kind of, you know, to get the drum set and to start like, I guess, investing in instruments that could, you know, help me uh, begin to express my rhythmic ideas. But eventually they, they did. And it was about when I was 13, my mom bought my first drum set. And I just remember setting it up and playing it for, for hours and practicing nice. and practicing and practicing and recording Beautiful. myself and really listening back. Yeah, I would record myself. My dad had an old uh, tape player and I would take these tapes and I would record myself. I would listen back and I'd be like, "Fantastic, oh, man, I got something to work on like this. You have this idea, like your sound is so good. And you listen back and you're like, oh man, the timing's off work. This is off. And I would just go back and record it. And then I started getting into things where I would start laying rhythms. I would record one rhythm have another tape player, two tape players next to each other, record something on top of that, mix it in together. And then I could start to hear how those both, those two rhythms were, were working together. And Beautiful. so it was, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, just kind of being creative, but uh, it was uh, kind of interesting, uh, especially now when I look back on it, 
Uh, but it just, it was a lot of, you know, just, uh, dedication, a lot of desire, a lot of passion, uh, a lot of persistence in, in convincing my parents, like, Hey, I'm really into this. I really want to, um, study this. And I feel like through, you know, the having to wait, um, for so many years, cause I, it, I became interested in drums when I was five mm. and I got my first drum set when I was 13. So throughout wow. that ta- entire time, it was everything in school. I, I want to be involved in anything related to, to music in school. I want to, you know, the practice pad, the drumsticks, the rudiments, wow. all of that stuff. I was just trying to consume it. So that's eight years of waiting shows a lot of patience and a lot of resilience indeed. <laughs> yeah. Also sounds like you had a producer's uh, mindset from the um, from the very beginning. If you if you were basically overdubbing yourself on that tape recorder, <laughs> yeah, broader headspace, amazing. Uh, yeah. I was actually about to ask earlier, how do your p- parents respond uh, to your passion for an instrument like the drums? Because it is a major investment for parents to make. It's it's not just the money; it's also the space. It's the noise yeah. levels. You know, it takes a lot of trust and love for your kid to buy them a drum kit i think (laughs) (laughs) that's true so uh, shout out to your folks Uh, much love to them for having stopped that fire right uh what kind of repertoire Uh, i want to move on into this late more later part of your career in a bit but the one last thing i'm curious about before you started uh, your professional musical uh, musician's journey was what kind of repertoire did you start of working with with your music teacher in high school where are your musical roots primarily in? Uh, so, because it's hard to say when when one hears you play, it could be such a diverse uh, background, a diverse list of influences. You know, sometimes uh, it sounds like you grew up in Latin American uh, music. Sometimes it sounds like jazz. Sometimes it could be like I don't know contemporary New York stuff. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know I'm I'm really curious where the fundament of your musical roots lie. Uh, well, initially, so a lot of what we were studying was almost kind of based off of uh, what I was having to prepare for school. So when I was in, I started studying with Mr. Overton when I was in uh, in high school. So I was in the marching band. And so everything was very rudimental. Right. So learning all of my drum rudiments for, for, for two years, I was in charge of the drum line. So all the guys in the drum line, uh, I had to be on top of you know, the double stroke rolls, the single stroke rolls. So learning all of these different types of uh, rudiments to apply to, to marching band and then learning the music. And so everything was very, I think of marching band music as very structured, mm. uh, very in time, very meticulous. Indeed. And Indeed. so that was kind of my beginning stages. I would take, you know, the music to him and say, oh, I might be having issues with something. How can we work on this? And we would dissect it. And then it was also concert. It was classical um, for for half the year mm. in school. We would do, be doing like symphonic band. And so it's respect for the triangle, respect for the crash symbols. Uh, you know, maybe you have to play a mallet part. Uh, maybe you have to play a bell part. Maybe it's resting for, you know, 40, 50 something measures mm. to prepare yourself to do a really big crash. So it's a lot of listening so that was kind of what I was doing in school. But outside of school, I was listening to a lot of, uh, you know, pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really interested in Latin music. And I was studying and looking at drummers like uh, 
uh, what's his name? Sanche- Antonio Sanchez. Oh yeah. Uh, and watching his foot, his left foot doing, going uh-huh. back and forth between like a wood block and, and the hi hat and just being so like in awe of how he was doing that. Oh yeah. And also Akira Jimbo from Japan doing stuff with the left foot. So that, that started really to inspire me and almost like take these, uh, like these thoughts of like being, restricted like you have to play the drums like this Mm -hmm. to just mean like oh wow there's no rules really like you can do whatever you want you can create whatever you want with these instruments you can create your own instruments you can take this symbol and put it on your snare you can you can take this tambourine and you know put it on your tom and just get these different types of sounds and so that kind of um was the beginning stages of kind of opening up my creative mind by by watching some of those guys beautiful uh do stuff like that and then so beautiful i love the name you dropped there antonio sanchez love that guy i had the chance to host him uh, at college as a student rep wow yeah and uh, i i can confirm uh you know i was literally on guard outside their rehearsing room making sure all the starstruck students wouldn't you know uh, barge in <laughs> and I can confirm you know listening to them rehearse like this was uh, Scott Coley Pat Metheny and Antonio Sanchez in the same room we would jam in every single day wow. and they were rehearsing for their gig next day it's like how the hell do these same amps and that same drum kit sound so different I literally prayed on that same thing this morning <laughs> so wow. yeah yeah yeah. I mean Antonio Sanchez El Negro Hernandez these are people who kind of changed the entire landscape of the drum kit right in a way like the Mm. But, um, anyway sorry i didn't mean to hijack the conversation my apologies speak oh no i mean i mean that's really cool to to know someone who's who's met him it's i would love to to meet him and to just kind of you know pick his brain and it, it was truly it was really inspiring to to watch him um and watch videos of him playing yeah and so that was that was kind of my uh where i kind of began to step outside of the box but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I was playing um, with the Navy band was a little more, okay, like we're playing big band stuff or we're playing, we're preparing for a holiday concert and we're, we're playing more symphonic uh, music. So it, it was kind of like always having that desire to play uh, really out there types of rhythms and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But also coming back to the more um, traditional side of drumming and music, if you will. Yeah. And uh, so, but uh, after I got out of the military and Afrobeat started to get really big mm-hmm. and I started kind of listening to the rhythms that were coming out of that stuff. And I was like, you know what, this really sounds like, this really sounds like Latin music. And then I started studying the clave a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three, two clave, two, three clave and, and how they're similar and who influenced who or but it was just kind of uh, it was kind of interesting just to listen to that and then try to just take bits and pieces of it. And even yeah. when I post stuff, people are like, oh, this sounds like it's from, you know, Brazil. This sounds like it's from Portugal. This sounds like it's from, you know, West Africa. And it's just like it probably it sounds like it. I'm, I'm pulling I'm inspired from different, you know, styles and and then I'm just pulling stuff and I'm kind of making it into my own thing. Mm. So. Do you, I know this might be a silly question to ask, uh, I know you're North American, but do you think you heard a, like an ancestral strain in those sounds in some way? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. When I was growing up, my dad had recordings of stuff of uh, like traditional talking drum and and all of these instruments from his village. Because my dad was born in Edo State, Nigeria, and uh, in the, the Afoa village. So he has like all of this, you know, this traditional uh, type of uh, music and recordings and he would play it like it would be, be it would be being played in the house and I, I mean I believe that even and for me like I can listen to something a few times and I mean it will come out in my playing and it's just it's just something that's always I've kind of noticed if I'm able to remember and trace it back I'm like oh that's where I heard that and so yeah it was kind of it was kind of interesting after I finished uh after I got out of the military and I was kind of almost having like this sense of where do I want to go? Where do I want to go musically? And I remember wanting to kind of venture into like African uh, rhythms and, and drumming and stuff like that. And I remember asking my dad, like, you know, should I go and study? Should I go to, should I go to Nigeria and study? And he was like, you already have it. Like it's already there. And I was just like, Mm. And it was just kind of the sense of like, I just have to let it flow more so mm-hmm. than like overthinking it, you know? And yeah. uh, so I just, I'd listened and I applied and this kind of creative, you know, free type of, of drumming began to take form. Beautiful. At which point did you notice this, uh, um, there's this wonderful little quote you Uh, put out there on um, an interview it goes something on the lines of i started to hear the notes in between the notes in reference to the manner in which you were hearing the 16th notes um when was this and is that something we could request you to elaborate a little on uh i think that was probably i think i was in in the interview i did with guitar center but yeah i think so that was probably, I started to, after I started kind of like to release like all of the, like you learn all the rules, right? Like you learn the rudiments and mm-hmm. it's just like, what do you do with these? Do you want to just play them as is, mm-hmm. or do you want to try to like almost put this, you know, uh, free, uh, free type of energy on, on top of, of these rhythms. And so like when I would start thinking of the 16th notes and I would turn on a metronome and you, you can go one E and a two E or you can kind of stretch that and and move it and have that flow a little bit more. Like you're still playing 16th notes, but there's a little bit more of like, uh, like a pull, in, yeah. in the right or left direction. So I began to like start messing with, with fluid time and, and more just, just very interesting type of, you know, creative vibe. And uh, I really started to hone in on that uh, when I was in uh, initially when we were in Texas uh, a few years ago and my husband was doing a uh, training flight school training. We had a mm-hmm. separate garage and I was, had all my, drums in the garage and I was really uh, kind of uh, restricted as far as what I could set up and so the garage was pretty small and so I kind of just grabbed what I could as far as like you know maybe the cajon I would make these loops and I kind of just began to start creating these very like eccentric these very out there rhythms Mm. especially when you bring in uh, loops I would make these rhythms and like these loops maybe with like djembe and bongos and congas and then i would start playing on top of it 
And I would listen back and I'm like, oh, wow, like this is this is really interesting. This is really cool. And I just began to start sharing it. I remember I shared a video late one night and it kind of, I woke up the next morning. It was like over 10,000 views. And I was like, wow. Like, <laughs> like Overnight? Are, Holy shit. Wow, yeah. That's yeah. It was crazy. And, and I was just like, oh, wow. So I just kind of began to um, explore more of that and kind of just began to tap into more of that type of, uh, you know, free i'll call it free type of rhythms and, and drumming mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. was like like um like you mentioned with the with the 16th note studying studying them with the metronome right turning on a metronome and having it play strict 16th notes but then deciding like i'm gonna only play the e or i'm only gonna play the uh or i'm gonna mm. shift that e and not necessarily play it exactly right right in time i'm gonna move it a little yeah. bit so it's a little more swung and mm -hmm. and so like when I started to kind of mess with that stuff, it kind of just also was a whole nother level of creativity because I started to hear rhythms within yeah. rhythms already. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I, I can relate. It's uh, my, my ancestry lies in India and I have spent uh, some time st studying some of my, my ancestral rhythms. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a, such a different, uh, it's such a shift in perspective once we think in phrases, for example, instead of uh, mm -hmm. 16th notes, you know, which eventually might be 16th or 8th notes or whatever. But it's just, there's an entirely different dimension of freedom once you realize, wow, you know, at the end of the day, that's just one atom of a phrase. What if I just shift that phrase, you know, and still stay on the grid without letting the grid guide me and me try and just kind of guide the grid instead, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, from your point of view, for uh, younger musicians who are trying to delve in that area, where's the best place to start? You already made a few references, you know, start on the E or, you know, try and shift that E a little or start on the, uh, you know, whichever subdivision they want to choose. Um, apart from the that, from a mindset point of view, is there, is there anything you would like to recommend on your side uh i will say what helped me the most is um is vocalizing uh is nice. saying the yeah. rhythms out loud so totally when, even today if i'm going to try to work on something uh i'll simplify it i'll slow it down i'll make it super super slow keep nice. myself honest i'll turn on a metronome and yeah. i might say if i'm working on uh maybe i'm working on my hands i might try to get my feet doing something like super easy quarter notes, bass nice. drum, hi-hat, bass drum, hi-hat, bass drum. And then after I get that going steady, I might try to just start to begin to think about what I want to play. If it's like, e, uh, one, one, e, uh, like yeah. I'll have, I want to keep my feet consistent without being affected by playing this syncopated note or this, right. this syncopated rhythm. And so, slowing it down was really, really helpful. And, uh, playing to a metronome was really, really helpful. And yeah. for me, the role in what I started making loops on was the Roland SPD SX or Roland SPD 30. And I mm -hmm. still have it because that's one of the first ones that really, really began to open up my mind because sometimes I would have an idea and I would almost need someone to play it for me. And in order to play the other thing that I want to play on top of it, and so making the loop 
And then being able to hear it, it opens up the doorway to play the other thing and for mm. them to both interact without it being like too, too weird. And so that was really what um, helped me a lot. And especially with, you know, quantizing, if you want to keep it exactly, or if you don't have very good time, you can quantize it and make sure it's exactly in time. Sometimes it does change the rhythm too much, but if it, if it doesn't, it's, it's helpful. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was what really, really helped me start to, um, kind of tap into a different type of, uh, realm of rhythms. Beautiful. How, how do you feel this new approach translate in ensemble, uh, situations once you started incorporating them? Did your, um, colleagues just latch on immediately or were there ever points where you felt like, oh, oh we might not be on the same page? Uh, I think so. Uh, let's see. I did a. I played a jazz festival a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and during a solo, I kind of I took liberty to kind of add some of this stuff in there that I've that I've worked on, and mm-hmm. because I one of the most important thing is when you're kind of you're going to present these rhythms is to make sure that you have them uh, solid enough to be able to hold the the natural rhythm down without affecting or messing up the other musicians so uh that was something that i definitely worked on and so now when i pull it out and i'll play these you know these different types of syncopated uh rhythms and stuff people can appreciate them the other musicians were like oh wow that was really cool uh rather than being like oh man that really messed me up i didn't know where you were going like so it um that was part of I guess my preparation and playing this stuff slow because sometimes it may be hard to, and sometimes people know how to play this stuff. Like they know it, but then it just doesn't have a good feel. And so that was also Mm. something that I wanted to make sure. So through practicing it very, very slow, uh, I would say almost, I spent a whole year probably just playing the left foot stuff really slow, like messing with the wood block, wood block between my, my heel and and the toe between the hi-hat and, I worked it so slow for a really long time so I got it really comfortable and then I was mm. able to start moving it and so actually playing it with you know other people beautiful yeah, that's exactly it you know I love the words you're using there because you know you know like these time stretched polyrhythmic kind of vibe it's it's not the kind of thing I mean sure one could try and put it down on paper and analyze it but you know learning from an analysis i feel like that can be extremely counterproductive and i'm not even sure that's the right way to go about it and i notice a lot of uh, musicians take that approach they try and learn it off paper or off an analysis and in my experience that tends to backfire (laughs) yeah it could it could be difficult um especially i don't know it's just like sometimes it's just this extra it's just, a, just this extra goo that's involved with uh, making it the feel feel really, really good. Um, I will say I did study books um, of like Latin rhythms and like the six eight, uh, the six eight type of uh, um, what is it? Not six eight samba, but uh, what is that called? I forget. It. But uh, what was it? Nanigo. Uh, it, eh, it could be yeah. it's not coming to me right now but it's like these six eight type of grooves yeah, yeah, where yeah. uh these latin six eight type of grooves where you can kind of uh 
pull them out, but you just yeah. got to make sure that they feel really, really comfortable. And mm-hmm. so like, um, when I was, uh, reading them in the book and, and trying to like figure out how to play this from reading the notes, it mm-hmm. was more so like I had to go back and listen in context, find songs exactly. that were using these rhythms and then be, and then coming back to the music and be like, Oh, okay. It's Context, not, exactly. it's, it, it is written correctly, but there's a little bit like extra feel. And, yep. and so it, it is really hard to kind of explain that on a piece of paper. Like we're yeah. going to tell you, like, how do you, how do you explain a, a feel? You kind of just mm-hmm. have to have listened enough, have experienced it enough, have, you know, tried it yourself and record it yourself and listen back and being like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm too ahead. Or maybe I'm not, you know, in the correct uh, space or the correct field to be able yep. to realize kind of where you need to be. And that's why recording is till this day, I, I record myself all the time because I might have over like a course of an hour or two hours of practicing. I might mm-hmm. have played something that could turn into a song or, you know, transform into something else. And so I try to, you know, capture that. And sometimes that's usually what I'll share on, on Instagram or YouTube is like a little snippet of something that I was, you know, working on. And I was like, Oh wow, that was really cool. And now Mm -hmm. I have a a little idea that I can take and expand. Beautiful. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that whole, his musical phase where non-European rhythms started being published on paper, that marks a very specific phase in musical history because the world was confronted with the fact that there are musical cultures which simply cannot be expressed through paper alone. It's great to use it as a reference, but you cannot right. learn that musical culture of paper alone. And I think right. it's great. I also feel the cultures where um, these musical forms have their roots and also benefit because it forces uh, a lot of us to kind of unpack the intricacies of it on a more somewhat intellectual level. Uh, you know, I have nothing against it. But um, I think it's a beautiful, you know, time in the world where both of these worlds are coming together, where it's not just about following your own body and going with the flow, but also unpacking what's going on there and kind of valuing the intricacies of these cultures we oftentimes take for granted. Like... Mm-hmm. I grew up with conical and uh, mm. Indian rhythms and all these complexities. And uh, up until I went to college in Europe, I didn't even know that, I don't know, it wasn't common to not be able to scat in 7, 8 or 9, 8 or 13 something. Wow. Or <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it sounds horrible when I say it, right? It sounds terrible. <laughs> so but it's true. It's And it's way later. That being said, I failed my first uh, rhythm studies semester. <laughs> Because oh, wow. uh, I couldn't clap black dots of paper the right way, <laughs> you know, and that that kicked my ass uh, in a good way. Uh, yeah. And eventually, I, I found my way around it. So, uh, but yeah, that's it's an interesting time to live in in the world. Right, uh, that's true. The clash, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to, so, what happens now? I mean, you you're you've done your time and in the military you're um, back but your career then takes off right you start touring with the grammy award-winning artist yeah so uh after let's see after i finished school so i got out of the military in 2014 and i wanted to finish my uh my undergrad so i went mm-hmm. i went to the university of maryland online because my husband was still active duty and we're, we're moving every year every two years or so and so online school was mm-hmm. the best option for me but uh i 
I studied, I ended up studying uh, digital media and web technology um, just because I knew I wanted to continue to play music, but I knew I was going to have to have a social media presence and know how to create mm. content and, uh, you know, share my work in that aspect. So uh, that's what I went to school for. And so in 2000, hmm, 2018, I finished and in 2019, I was, I was going on a tour. Like I made a website, I got a uh, comedy music LLC. Like I did everything I could to kind of set myself up to uh, be mm -hmm. recognized and noticed on, on the, on, on the internet, take the, take the name, uh, Kami music on every single, uh, you know, platform and uh, just, mm -hmm. just began to share my, my work and what I was doing. And it was kind of funny because, like, I thought to myself, you know, like, I'm, I'm not of Latin descent, and, but I really did want to play with a Latin artist. And so when I got the mm -hmm. email, like, we would love for you to go on tour with us. And I was just like, wow, like, I, yes. I'm doing a pretty good job with my rhythms. Like, this is so cool. Uh, so, but uh, Boyka was her name. Uh, awesome. And she was, she's interesting because she's like, her family is from Spain, but her origin is, is she, she's from uh, Guinea. So, uh, mm. yeah, so she's like African, but uh, she speaks Spanish and she was, she was raised in Spain. And so it was really gotcha. cool to kind of, um, kind of tour. It was cool to tour with her and we toured for uh, 2000. 19 up until the shutdown so she hit you up online sent you a mail and said oh i want you to come tour with me yeah so it, so it was uh let's see 2000 october 2018 um so it was mm -hmm. the prior year they were like trying to piece together this all girl uh group to tour for 2019 mm -hmm. and so it was kind of interesting because i was pregnant like <laughs> i was probably a few months wow. pregnant <laughs> <laughs> so so wait you went on tour pregnant <laughs> <laughs> no i i didn't go on tour pregnant i went to the first rehearsal uh in uh it was in miami so i was living in jacksonville florida at the time and uh, i got offered to do this tour and i didn't want to turn say no i mean like you know i've never met the group i don't know so i just wanted to at least, you know, give myself the opportunity to go play and to go check it out. So I so went, cool. I, no one knew I was pregnant. I didn't even look pregnant until about the last couple months. And then everyone was like, whoa, you're pregnant. Wow. But so I went to the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went to the, uh, to the recording session, uh, the rehearsal, uh, if you will, and everything was great and, and, it, and it turned out great. And so like, I didn't mention anything, but I get back home and then the schedule starts to come out for the following year. My son's supposed to be born in March of 2019. And I'm looking at the schedule and we're supposed to be in, uh, you know, all these France, we're supposed to be in France. And I'm like, Oh man, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, so I eventually was like, I talked to my instructor, I actually called him. I was like, Hey, Mr. Overton, you know, uh, I'm supposed to go on tour for March and before the year and Julian is supposed to be born in March. And he is like, well, you know, you got to tell them. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. <sighs> so uh, I, I, uh, I prepared my email and I sent it to them and it's just like, you know, Hey, I, I, it was, I try to be as chill as possible. It's like, Hey, my, I'm going to have, my son's going to be born in March. I'm going to need a couple weeks off. And <laughs> they're like, what? 
you're having a baby. They're like, congratulations. So they were like really supportive and really happy. But, you know, basically I, awesome. I got, you know, I got cut. They were like, hey, we can't have you go on tour and or, you know, be traveling pregnant because I was getting really close to the due date. Um, I was probably mm-hmm. when I told them it was around Christmas time and they were just like, yeah, we can't we can't do this. And so I was like, you know, obviously super heartbroken, you know, I wanted to be there and I wanted to do the, to do the tour. Uh-huh. Uh, but I just believed in my heart, like, you know, I'm still going to do it. I'm, I don't know how uh, I'm still going to do it. And that's what I kept telling myself. So my son was born, they went on, they began the tour in January. They went over to California. They were going, you know, they had gigs set up and stuff like that. And uh, my son was born in March and I'm still watching the schedule and I'm still, they're still doing the gigs. They got a girl to come in and to play drums. Um, and actually she's, she's the drummer for Carol G right now. Like, so she, it, it was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, so eventually I had Julian is born March 31st and I'm taking care of him, you know, making sure all the milk is prepared, blah, blah, blah. And it was in like May, they hit me up. The, they were like, Hey, do you want to go on tour? with us uh next week you want to take you want to take over the job and i was like awesome i was like okay hold on what i was like like obviously i wanted to do this but now i'm like actually logistically thinking about how this is going to actually be possible you know with the he was two months old my son was two months old at the time and uh mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, they're asking me to go to spain like in a couple weeks and so it kind of it worked out you know all glory to God because I had enough milk. I was, I was really adamant of not, not, not doing the whole, um, you know, formula and stuff. So I didn't even know why, but I had a whole mm-hmm. freezer full of milk. I was pumping. Everything was taken care of. Amazing. Uh, Julian's great grandmother was there. She was like, I would be honored, you know, to help you and to, to watch him. And so literally within like a couple weeks, I was getting on a plane. Um, I was traveling uh, we, I would go away for about five to six days at a time. And then I would come back mm-hmm. and uh, take care of him. And, you know, so it was like, it was a tour, but it was, it was not like a very strenuous tour where we were gone for several weeks at a time. We were gone for like days, like five, six days at That's a time. Right. So we would be traveling to, like we traveled to Israel to play the red, the jazz, red, uh, red sea jazz festival. Right. And it, with wow. it, as soon as we, get off the stage. We're literally heading back to, to get on the plane, to come back. So they, they were really accommodating and they did their best to try to help me to be able to do the gig, but also get me back to be able to take care of my son. So it was a, it was a cool, so cool. yeah, it was a cool experience. And I'm just uh, grateful. I had uh, the opportunity, you know, even being a brand new mom to, to be able to still live out your, your dreams and to play music and to travel uh, was mm-hmm. was super super cool. You sound like the person who's not satisfied dealing with one challenge at a time. You always need a minimum of two. <laughs> <laughs> that what you it? had to be an athlete and a pro musician at the same time. You had to be a mom and an international tournament <laughs> artist at the same time. One does just doesn't do it for you, does it? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't. I guess I just. I'm just not like. Uh, I don't. I. I realize that I don't tell myself no right i'm gonna say this is possible yeah. i don't know how it's possible but i'm gonna keep that door of mm. possibility open and i believe that doing that kind of literally keeps the door open because i didn't shut it and so a lot of people 
when they have a kid or they, you know, something happens, they're like, well, I can't do this anymore. And then, then your mind says, okay, mm. you can't do it anymore. So it starts, stops looking for ways to make this thing that you want to happen, happen. And so when I got cut and, you know, they're like, Hey, we can't do this. I did not close the door. I said, this is going to happen. And I don't know how, mm. but this is going to happen. And so it kind of just worked out and everything kind of fell into place. Everything that I needed fell into place for me to have this opportunity to, to do this. And Julian was taken care of and, you know, got to have time with his great grandmother and, and my mom came in and my sister came in, everyone was, you know, there to support. And so that was really necessary, Amazing. obviously, to to have that comfort of leaving this two, three month old baby, you know, to with with family. So it's not it it was okay. You're obviously equipped to deal with that kind of challenges. Um, you reckon it has something to do with your military training as well, just those years of discipline and you know, the resilience. Do you think that had a pl- role to play, or were you always that way? Uh, I think I think the military definitely helped because uh, it, it almost reinforced I think what was already there. Uh, like mm-hmm. I've always kind of I've always kind of been a um, persistent, a passionate uh, person, and so when you mm-hmm. add that discipline on top of it uh, from the military, and you know, it, it's just it kind of just I think it just made it more, you know. So, mm-hmm. but I think it I, I, I do I think it helped, yeah. Because most musicians would have burnt out halfway. They, they, they would have burnt out before they even gotten started with the project, two projects like that, you know. <laughs> Motherhood and going on tour with an artist they really want to go on tour with. So right. hats off. I mean, I really mean that. Well, I mean, thank you. That sounds lame when I say it the way I do. No, but seriously, I mean, hats off is uh, all I can really say. I do wonder, though, that, that phase where you like, I, I want to go on tour with this with this artist who I really like. I always wanted to do that. But I'm also pregnant, which is pretty awesome. And I just got cut, but I still, I'm still going to keep the faith that it's going to happen. What's your source of psychological sustenance in those phases where you know things don't seem to be going exactly the way it would be optimal, but you still steer the universe, for lack of a better term, your way? Well, you know, what's, what, what are your tools to have that happen? Well, I mean, I'm a. Did that sound too vague? Uh, no, I think I understand what you're what you're asking. Uh, I was I'm a very spiritual person, and so I believe in mm-hmm. God and I believe in uh, our destiny, and I believe that we have trials and tribulations in our life that are uh, going to make us stronger or you know possibly mm-hmm. break us, but you might have the you know opportunity to get back up, and and so I believe if we're here. And we have the possibility, the option to think the best possible thing for our life, then that's what we should do. Mm. And a lot of people, even myself included, we kind of get discouraged when something doesn't go our way. Yeah. And in that time when something's not going your way, you could still say, I believe that even though this is what it appears to be today, I'm still going to believe that it's going to be like this tomorrow and that's kind of hard to do because then we're literally speaking against what we see and a lot of people don't even you know they they would say that's not smart to do they're like look at what's happening Mm -hmm. and how could you Mm -hmm. how could you think that this is going to happen it's like well i'm going to sit here and focus my attention on what i want rather than what i don't want (laughs) so 
Bingo. Yeah, that's a, that, you know, it's a classic um, distinguishing between creator mode or victim mode. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, more power to that. It's also very evident in a lot of the themes you explore as an artist. Um, one of the first songs you released was based on the theme of I Choose Love. Was that the title of the song, I Choose Love? Yeah, so that was the album. Uh, the album was I Choose Love, and then there was also a song on there called I Choose Love as well. Um, but yeah, that was mm -hmm. the album kind of was born out of uh, after the tour. And so after the tour and we know kind of going into a shutdown and I kind of had my whole I had a, just kind of an experience where I was uh, I was in really, really, really bad pain for for th basically three years. But it started to get worse uh, after I had my oh, son. I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty crazy. Like the the whole story. Like um, I got out of the military. I was having some issues with my my teeth. Went to the dentist. You know, they did some fillings. They did some work or whatever. But after that, I couldn't. Basically, I couldn't chew on the left side of my mouth for for like three years. And then after I had my son, I started to have jaw issues. And I and eventually, basically, I was on tour. I was where were we? We were in Canada. And I'm like, man, I am in some serious pain. Like I'm having these like major uh, headaches, the left side of my face. I could barely, I was having like almost spasms. And so when I got home, I was like, I need to do something about it. And I'm not one to really take medication. So I was, I just had, mm -hmm. I was like racking my brain. I'm like, you know, my midwife, when I was pregnant, mentioned that I needed to go to a chiropractor because Julian wasn't in the right position. And so, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I need to go see a chiropractor. So I went to the chiropractor and he looks and he's like, okay, your C1 and your C5 vertebrate are out of alignment. Whoa. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like, how do we fix it? Let's fix it. And he's like, well, you know, it's going to take some time because, uh, you know, it took some time for you to get it out of alignment. So basically I went to him for a month and uh, he helped me get it back into alignment. So after about a month, he's like, all right your spine is, you know, is, is straight. And, but I was still having pain. And like, this pain was like really bad. Like it would wake me up out of a sleep two o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, oh, it was, it was really, really bad. And so I remember just being on my knees, like, God, please help me. Like, please, please, please take this pain away. Like the worst, pain, like pregnancy pain, like none of that even compares to the pain I was feeling like that intense. Whoa. Yeah. And so, wow. So I'm just like on my knees and I'm like asking God for help. And it occurred to me that I was already healed. Like it occurred to me that I like, what is pain? I had to like, what is pain in our mind? Like pain, we have to accept it as a, a, a thing. And then we have to look for it because every day I would look for the pain. So it, it occurred to me, like I'm already healed. I already, I just have to get up and accept it. I just have to say, thank you. And so I got up with this sense of like, like release. And I felt like this weight was completely lifted off my, my shoulders, off my head. And then the next day it was gone. Like all of it, my teeth, my spine, my headaches, my everything was completely gone. And even my mom was like, uh, like, are you okay? She's like, are you going to go to the chiropractor? I was like, I, I feel fine. I was like, I'm, I'm fine. And so that experience that to me is considered a miracle. Uh, I was like, what do I do from here? And I was like, you know, this thing that God has delivered me from. And I was just like, you know what? I have to write a, I have to make an album. 
<laughs> I was like, I have to. And then it was like, I've never written a song before. <laughs> it's like, how am I going to write? I've never written a song before. How am I going to do this? And so it was kind How'd of just like a loop of faith of, I started to write lyrics. I started to, to give thanks in advance for this album already being done. Like it, I hadn't even written a single song. I haven't written a single song yet. And I was like, I'm so happy and grateful this album is completed. And uh, through that course of the year, I started, you know, getting the materials I needed. I got an interface. I got mics. I got, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was writing. I was recording. And it was like, I was listening back. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? I can't really sing. And so I remember just posting on, on Facebook, like, hey, I'm working on, I'm working on an album that's going to come out at the end of this year. And my, my friends, like, from, from the Navy, Sarah Reasoner, she's like, uh, I didn't know you were a singer. And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> and she was like, well, let me know if you need any help. And I'm like, all right. And so I thought she was just, you know, kidding or whatever. But I started, like, putting out, I put out a single, and I was using an auto-tune. And she was like, she's like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And she was like, hey, let me know if you need some help. And so I started sending her songs. And she, was, she would record, and she would send them back to me. Uh, with the lyrics I had written and all this stuff because I already had like the music was done the drums was done I was putting down bass parts uh, everything over the course of a few months I all of this stuff just started to come together as I tried and so I had these songs and I just needed someone to sing on them and so I started sending them to her and she was she was amazing she was like recording these songs and sending them back to me and so we had like by like October we had basically seven eight songs ready to like go to the studio and record. And so, um, yeah, we went and she flew from Indiana to Florida where I was at the time. And we, we tracked the whole vocal part of the, uh, the recording. And then a month later we had musicians come in and we, we put down, um, the musical parts, the bass, the drums, the guitar. And, uh, yeah, the, the album came out, uh, 2020 on, thanksgiving the day before thanksgiving and so it was uh a, a just like a leap of faith like i said because it was completely out of my element really to kind of take this this direction of but i felt like i was just i had to share like i have experienced this this intense pain for several years and then it's completely gone and i'm like Wow. Mm. So from this experience, I've learned about forgiveness. I learned about like, you know, we all have a choice to choose love or to choose, you know, um, you know, whatever that's not love. And so I realized in this like whole thing that I was experiencing was it was fear-based. I was carrying weight of, you know, maybe disappointments, maybe anger, and all of this stuff that was bothering me, I was, it was a physical weight on my body and it started to affect mm. me, literally affect my spine, affecting my, you know, my jaw and all of this stuff. So it was, um, it was something I felt I needed to share. So my whole, my message, my whole, like, ide- my ideology of where to move going forward kind of shifted in the direction of I need to, I need to share this. Love is the answer. Let's all, you know, look past our disappointments, look past our anger, uh, look past our fear. And, and every day, let's, you know, be grateful for another day to be alive Beautiful. and to use music to spread love and joy. Because there are, you know, a lot of people out there who are struggling 
they need the message. And so that kind of has for the last few years has been my, my, my thing. <laughs> so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I needed to hear that message. And I'm pretty sure a lot of my listeners, did. I think we, it's the kind of message we all need to hear right now. Right. Well, I'm happy to share. Uh, I mean, it was, it was definitely like while you're going through it, you may not know, like, I didn't really understand. It's just like, Hey, I'm having these, you know, this pain and you don't really know why, but it's, it's usually linked mm-hmm. to something, you know, it's usually linked to, to something that you may be holding on to or something in the past. And cause from what I understand, like that's kind of what everything is diseases and sickness. It might, you know, be stem from, you know, something else that we, we may have forgotten about that may be showing up and coming out in a different way. So. Yep. Totally with you. Completely agree. I've had quite a few experiences to confirm that theory along my journey as well. My first being uh, the the time where uh, my I just couldn't play, like my right hand was could barely move. Out of the blue, came out of nowhere. Doctors couldn't do anything until I found this one doctor who was the sensitive type, had a background in alternative medicine as well, like traditional Chinese medicine. She was like, "Listen, there's nothing wrong with your hand, and I know this is the last thing you want to hear. But number one, you need to find the source of this problem. Number two, you need a complete overhaul in your lifestyle." Wow. And uh, that that journey took three months and I did kind of overhaul my lifestyle to the best that I could at that time. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different story. But I had that moment where like I was doing everything right, but I knew that there was a very specific moment of surrender. I just kind of really had to go with. Mm. And I wrote a song. I wrote a song wow. and that song was called Please. Wow. I finished writing that song, Please, and the next day the pain was gone. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm totally with you, sister. Yeah. I would love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. it actually came out last year on my debut solo piano album. I had a few other, uh, some other music out before, but last year in the pandemic, I recorded my first solo piano album. No vocals, nothing, just like a really quiet piano album. And it's on there. Wow. Happy to send you a link. Yes, uh, please. I would video. love to hear it. That's, yes. well, congratulations. And that's, that's really amazing. I mean, thank you to, to turn something that's, you know, to find healing and to find uh, peace, if you will, in something that's ca- causing you pain is, I think, is the best. Because, I mean, like, what can you really do? Like, I even had that thought, you know, I was like, I'm in so much pain. Like, I could barely, for, for moments, I could, I could not do anything but just hold my head down because the pain was so bad. And so it was like, oh, if, yeah. what can you do? Like, you can't, you have to stop. You can't play music. You can barely both and peace was the number one priority at that point. And so I, I found out like, you know, just being grateful for life and for air and, and it just kind of shifted my mindset to, you know, finding joy and peace in everything that's around me and not necessarily focusing on the bad stuff that might be happening in the news and all this other stuff that's so, you know, wrong and depressing. It's just like, I can focus on, this is a beautiful day and you know and and stuff like that yep amen to that music is medicine <laughs> yeah that's true i think uh at, at this phase of my life after 22 years of doing nothing else i think uh, i realize more and more every single day that that is eventually the highest purpose of music for me anyway the medicinal quality of it all you know at the risk of sounding mm. melodramatic but for my own practice that's the real like fundamental 
the fundament of my major why. The you know you know how they say what's your why. I think at this point I can safely mm -hmm. say my why for practicing music, being a practitioner of sonic arts or whatever you want to call it, is is the medicinal part of it. No doubt. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, go figure. We're almost at 90 minutes. <laughs> This <laughs> yeah. tends to happen sometimes. Is, Sorry. Yeah, Julian is still sleeping, so thanks, thanks, Julian. <laughs> you, you're being very kind to, to us. So we appreciate this a lot. Uh, we're almost done. I want to be you're being very generous with your time. I sincerely appreciate that. There is one last thing I would be very grateful to have you share with my listeners before you go which is you obviously have a very proactive, positive entrepreneurial mindset in the manner in which you approach your career. And I think a lot of my listeners would be very happy to know more about how they can grow and establish the, these musical habits, this mindset in their musical journey. What are your pointers for the same? Um, I guess as I began to start to form my, uh, my following and to present stuff online, it was a kind of this awareness of like, I am literally building the stage like on social media in which I want to perform. So I have to be mindful of the stuff that I'm putting out, Beautiful. right? Because it's going to attract a certain group of people. And so everyone is essentially a reflection of who you are. The people that enjoy your music, the people that want to talk to you, the people that want to interact with you are just a reflection of of who you are and so i think it's um mm. important to 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 kind of understand what your goal is and to understand what you want and why you're doing it like you mentioned mm. the why like i had to figure out why i wanted to do it because if you don't have a a strong why you're you're gonna lose sight of it like because to be, to be a musician to invest this much time And something that, you know, takes years and years to, to, to become, you know, proficient at, you have to have a really good, you know, why for some people it's money. Mm. But for me, it was yeah. like, I want to spread the message of love. I want to share what my experience is. I want to share my rhythms. I want to share what God has done for me in my life. And so that is my, my why this is why I'm doing it to help, to help people to serve and to, to share like, Hey, it's not about me. It's about, you know, it's about just creating and sharing love. And, and so that's why the name of the album was I choose love because we have a choice. We have a choice to pick uh, fear or anger or, whatever, you know, disappointment, we have, we have a choice every single day. Yeah. And so mindfully doing my best to always, you know, look at the situation and be like, I, I know it looks like this. And most people would react like this, but I'm going to say no. And I'm going to go to the side of, of love. So, yes, yes. So that, that resonates so deeply. Amen to that sister. <laughs> Thanks. That 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 is that is a wonderful not to end on. Um, this was an absolute pleasure, an absolute honor. Thanks so much for doing this, Camille. Well, no problem. I I appreciate you having me. Uh, I know we we tried to link up. Uh, I know it was months ago, and as, as Julian was in the car, and I guess it wasn't the good time. But the, you know, this it worked out, and I'm grateful to share my story and and to learn a little more about you and. 
and to hopefully encourage and to share. So I do great, greatly appreciate the opportunity. Pleasure is all mine. Um, FYI, all, all links to your work and your websites and your glo- global presence will be included on episode notes for my listeners. Is there anything else you'd like to share with, um, with our audiences? Anything I forgot? Anything uh, I missed out on? Uh, no, I think uh, I... Yeah. For, for an hour and a half or so, we touched on a lot. and uh, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you had so some too. really good, really, really great questions. So it kind of, uh, it, was, it was good to talk and to reflect and to, and to share. Cheers, I appreciate it. It was easy to ask you these questions. You, you have an extremely, you have a fascinating and inspiring musical background and story. So the questions just kind of came on their own, you know. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Um, FYI, I'm going to stop record. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in.